The scripture reading this morning is Mark 10, verses 32 through 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. On Palm Sunday, Christians commemorate Jesus riding into the holy city of Jerusalem on a colt. And sometimes this is called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It really wasn't so triumphal. He enters like a king would have into a city in that he rides in on an animal and and there's the acclaim of all the people. That's how kings entered cities, just like that. But he does not ride on a large white horse. Jesus does not have rows of captives behind him who he and his armies have conquered in the latest battle. In fact, within a number of days, he's going to be a captive. He's not dressed in royal gowns. Doesn't give a speech. There's no big feast. He doesn't go to the temple and make sacrifices to the gods. When Julius Caesar entered Rome, when he became a dictator, it far overshadowed the way Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus answers rather humbly. And he's fulfilling the words spoken by the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. 
Triumphant and victorious is he, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Expectations were high when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. It was like he was acting out this very prophecy. And people were jacked about it because the rest of Zechariah's sermon talks about how the messianic figure, when he comes, he will command peace to the nations and he will set all the prisoners free. And Zechariah says the Lord will appear over them and will protect them. And on that day, the Lord God will save them all. I mean, the people of Jerusalem, they had had it with Rome. They had had it with the brutal taxation. They were tired of being bossed around and brutalized and dominated. And they expected God's Messiah to come and reverse the whole thing. But let's back up just a little bit from Palm Sunday. Maybe a day or two. Just before the entry into Jerusalem, Mark tells us Jesus is with the twelve. He's with a number of other disciples going to Jerusalem. And Mark specifically says that Jesus was leading the way. It's in our text this morning, that first verse, the 32nd verse. Jesus was leading the way, and that is as it should be. Because discipleship is always and ultimately about following Jesus. I think sometimes we make discipleship to be Jesus following us. But Jesus is leading the way, and Jesus is leading them up to Jerusalem, where things are going to get very serious. Following the Lord sometimes takes us into dangerous places, hard places. And is that why it says the disciples were astonished and those who followed were afraid? Did you pick that up? They're following him, but they are astonished and they are afraid. Jesus leads the way to suffering, but when it comes to humility and suffering, Jesus not only teaches it, he leads the way. And Jesus takes the twelve aside and he tells them what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the authorities. He will be condemned, mocked, spit upon, flogged, and killed. Now, this is the third time that Jesus has told them this. Third time about his suffering and his death. And this time is the most explicit and it's the most detailed. And after each of the three times that Jesus speaks of his impending suffering in Jerusalem, the, the disciples never respond well. They either deny it or they just don't get it. Each time Jesus speaks about the Son of Man and his suffering, he speaks in the third person. He did this a lot, talking about this person, the Son of Man. The Son of Man will do this so that you may know the Son of Man is this. The disciples eventually came to understand Jesus was the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a figure found in the Old Testament in the visions of Daniel in the book of Daniel. This is what Daniel saw. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. 
All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Sounds pretty good to be the son of man, huh? Uh, he's going to have authority, he's going to have glory, he's going to have power, he's going to have a kingdom. What's not to like? After this third time of telling the disciples that the Son of Man is going to suffer, James and John, two of the disciples, come to Jesus and they ask about the possibility that they might have positions of honor when he comes into his glory. I mean, if Jesus is the Son of Man, and this is what's going to come, according to Daniel, James and John want a piece of the action. They hear Son of Man, they think power and glory. And it could be that they imagine Jesus setting up an earthly empire, and they will be part of the elite with the honor and the glory. Jesus speaks of his cross, they can only think of glory. Jesus has been talking about all he's going to give. And all the disciples are talking about is what they're going to get. Well, the other ten hear this, and as you can imagine, they're furious at James and John. How dare James and John to go right by them, underneath them, to try to get the best appointments and the positions for themselves. And it all breaks loose amidst the disciples. So Jesus calls everyone together, and he gives them what I call his, his servant sermon. And in this servant sermon, Jesus tells disciples how his people do things and how they don't do things. First of all, how disciples don't do things. That's where he starts. And Jesus points the disciples to the rulers of Rome and the rest of the ancient world, and he says, they exercise authority. They exercise authority over everyone and everything. They boss people around. They take advantage of their authority and their influence, and they throw their weight around and, and, and let power go to their heads, and they like to subdue others, and they, they're all about arrogance. Yeah, see, nothing's really changed, has it, huh? And, and, and even though we might think, but you know, if I were in office, you know, if I were in power, if I were the emperor, it'd be totally different. Don't be so sure. Power has a way of distorting our souls. Jesus knows this. It's why his way is different. As a matter of fact, maybe that's why we need to be regularly praying for people in positions of power and authority. Jesus says to his disciples, we're not even going there. What they do, we're not even going there. Yes, the rulers throw their weight around, but Jesus says, not so with you. And then Jesus tells his disciples how we, meaning all disciples, this is how we will do things. And the way Jesus' disciples live is an alternative to the way that the world does it. And here's how the followers of Jesus are going to do life. He says, instead. That's an alternate word. That, that's a contrast word. Instead. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be slave first, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
Jesus teaches a different order from the world order. He teaches that greatness in Jesus' kingdom is to be a servant. Servant, the word is diakonos. It gives us our word, deacon. And we are so thankful for the deacons of our church and how they care for us and serve for us. And we saw a great example of that earlier this week when we had a large memorial service here. And it was the deacons who came and got the food and prepared the food and and they set things up and then they clean up, washing everything down, cleaning the floors, putting out the garbage, serving the people. And then Jesus ups the ante by saying that those who are first must be the slave of all. The word for slave is a step lower than who a servant would have been. James and John want power and glory and influence. And Jesus says, well, you know, real greatness is being the servant and the slave of all, everyone. Slaves didn't have any rights. They didn't have any freedom. The main virtue of God's kingdom is not power. It's not even freedom. It is being servants as an expression of love. And everyone is for being a servant until, of course, we have to be servants, right? The hard thing about being a servant and a slave is that there won't be any recognition. There are no award shows for servants. There are no highlight reels that are shown. There is no show called American Servant. No Instagram posts. Look at these people serving. There are, there are not a lot of perks, and it's wearying. Jesus takes those who follow him downward. Downward. In all his teaching, Jesus never really says, be humble. I looked in the Gospels again this week, and I couldn't find it. One time, he does say, um, if, if you are humble, you will be exalted. But mostly what Jesus talks about is serving, being a slave, washing feet, taking the lowest place, giving your life. Because if we do those things, you know what will happen to us? We will become humble. Humility. He said one time, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus said, for who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I, he said about himself, am among you as one who serves. Yeah, but, but you know, my time is really precious. You know, I, I got to do better about self-care. And this is what I want to do with, with my life. Well, you know, being a servant, it's, it's, it's not my gifting, not my gifting. Well, Jesus not only told his disciples to do it, he modeled it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember the expectations, the expectations of the Son of Man in Daniel? Well, what a redirection this is. This is how the Son of Man came. And if our Lord came like this, then 
That is how his, that's how his disciples need to come. And the life of Jesus, the way of the Lord, is a life modeled after the pattern of Jesus. The Bible commentator, Jim Edwards, he helps us understand what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, the life of the disciple of Jesus does not come from the secular order, but from the unique and alternative way of Jesus, which defies the logic of this world and its fascination with dominance, control, yields, results, and outcomes. The key to being in line with the Son of God is the verbs to serve and to give. Being a servant is the most prominent position in the kingdom of God, and the reason it is the most prominent position is that the sole function of a servant is to give. And giving is the essence of God. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. The word ransom referred to what was paid for prisoners of war, what was paid for slaves to release them from captivity into freedom. Jesus gave away his life for the hostages. That's you and me, friends. And that's why this week matters. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he gets conquered. The king gets conquered. Jesus will not be king. He will not be Messiah. He will not bring God's kingdom through political or religious power. He will not manipulate. He will not charm. He will not exploit, which are all things that worldly power uses. This is why worshipers of Jesus have to be careful of power, authority, and influence. Rather, Jesus will serve and give his life as payment for all who can't pay. We are bought and ransomed by him. We are not our own. We are bought with a price, and that is why we give our lives to the Lord. Jesus says there are those who will live with arrogance, trying to gain power and use power, but he says to his disciples, not so with you. That's a good verse to memorize. It's only just, what, four words? Not so with you. When we want to exercise our authority and have everyone bow down to us, we might remember those words, not so with you. When we get full of ourselves, let's hear Jesus say, not so with you, Phil. When we think we aren't getting our due recognition, not so with you. When we get huffy because we're asked to do something we think is beneath us. Not so with you. When we get inconvenienced and underappreciated and passed over, let's remember. Not so with you. The not so with you life is a life of humility that is underneath Jesus Christ. And it has a very different look than the secular pagan world. The Jesus life gives up arrogance, takes up humility. I am not preaching about giving up arrogance because I think we are an arrogant people. I think Mount Olympus Church is not arrogant. I don't think any of the 500, about 500 men, women, or children in this church, I can't think of one who I would describe as arrogant. I think, though, we see a certain arrogance being lived sometimes in the name of Christianity in our nation and in our world. It's hurting our witness. 
But the more the people of Christ become servants and slaves and take the way of humility, I think people will see Jesus more. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have our little arrogances, though, at times that kind of creep in. We have those moments of becoming full of ourselves. Uh, and, and when arrogance begins to creep into our hearts, we lose the edge of our discipleship. The more the people of Jesus live as servants and as slaves in this world, the stronger the message of the gospel is going to be. The lower we can get, the more humility we can have in our actions, in our words, boy, in our lifestyles. The more we can come underneath others, the more Jesus will be seen. I don't want you to think that over Lent we've preached on giving up certain things, giving up fear, giving up worry, giving up anger, giving up greed, a critical spirit, and um, arrogance, because I don't want you to think because they can be easily given up in a week or even over a season of six weeks of Lent. It doesn't work like that. I know that. You know that. It takes a lifetime of living under the grace of God to give these things up and be filled with the things of God's Spirit. But the journey's worth it. And I don't want us to think that following Jesus is just about being good. Following Jesus is not about our performance. Discipleship is about his performance, if you would. Because it is about banking on what he did on the cross and rising from death. It's about realizing that we can't do that in our life. That our goodness, that our moral systems, they are broken and that we need God's grace. Discipleship is following Jesus, walking and living behind him. Behind him. And that in itself, that takes humility. We empty ourselves and we say, Lord, I can't but you can, and we come to the end of ourselves and we come to the beginning of him. And to do that is to forsake the arrogance and the pride that says, my life is mine. And it's to give our ransomed lives to Jesus and to say, my life is yours. So it's Holy Week when we remember how that happened. Where will your life be? Let's pray. Lord, we confess. We confess any desire to join the ways of the world and ascend to all the places of prestige. Take us lower. And when that gets messy, hard, and exhausting, keep us mindful that you came not to be served, but to serve. Keep us mindful of how you gave your entire life as a ransom for many. Amen.